from PRX. This is Studio 360. I'm Kurt Anderson. On this podcast extra, we're bringing you a special series of stories about science and creativity. Today, we finish our look at a staple of science fiction and fantasy, the multiverse. Writers of modern animated TV shows have been a little obsessed with the idea of multiple universes, like in this episode of The Family Guy. Apparently, this is a universe where everyone has two heads, one happy, one sad. Honey, have you seen Stewie? I can't find him anywhere. I sure have. He's over there playing in the corner. Of course, a lot of animators started out as comic book geeks. So here we are at the Source Comics and Games in St. Paul, Minnesota, my local comic book shop. This is a very dangerous place for me because I'm a geek with a paycheck. That's James Kakelios. He's a physics teacher at the University of Minnesota, and he says comic books have been playing with theories of the multiverse for ages, and that those storylines mirror actual scientific theories by physicists like Hugh Everett, who first proposed the many worlds theory in the 1950s. This, of course, this idea was not considered helpful by physicists who were struggling with quantum mechanics and was ignored even though four years later, in 1962, in Flash number 123, experimental evidence is provided when the Flash from the 1960s vibrates over to a parallel Earth and has an adventure with the Flash from the 1940s, experimentally verifying Everett's theory and proving that parallel Earths really exist. Now we have so many Earths in the DC universe that they published a miniseries, Crisis on Infinite Earths, and they decided to eventually kind of smoosh them all together. Hi, Chad. Hi. <laughs> so Chad here works at The Source, and uh, he could tell you that I'm here. Pretty often. Yeah. <laughs> at least weekly. So Chad, it is certainly true that practically every comic book publishers has a multiverse. Just about every comic company, at least the big ones, DC and Marvel for instance, have gone to the multiverse uh, sort of format, I guess is the best word for it. It's an easy way for them to have storylines that are going parallel, that they don't have to keep strict sort of control over continuity and canon. They can have two or three different Supermans all doing things very slightly differently or vastly differently and then the, the People who are reading the books aren't getting confused. Well, why is Superman young in this one and old in this one? Why is Wolverine an old man here? And why is he dead in this other one? You know, there's that allows him to tell whatever Spoiler stories alert. they want. <laughs> he's been dead for over a year. Yeah, that's true. That's, <laughs> and he's still dead. That's the amazing thing. <laughs> DC Comics is related to quantum mechanics and parallel Earths existing simultaneously. I think Marvel is more connected to cosmology and the inflationary model of the universe. And so the universe is actually much bigger than the universe that we can observe. There are other regions of the universe that are so separated from us that they could have evolved their own separate universes that we can never really connect to and we can never interact with. So there might be Earths there where, say, the X-Men had their Age of Apocalypse storyline, 
Whereas on the Earth here, we have a different storyline with the X-Men going on. The multiverse has been around in science fiction and in comic books nearly as long as the concepts have been around in science. How it's managed to migrate out to the general public in this way is something that I, I don't really fully understand. I'm sure that there's somewhere on another Earth, another Professor James Kekelius, who does have a better understanding of that, but this guy's not answering my calls. All right, 3077 is the total. Okay. Dr. K, have a good day. Thank you. You call me Dr. K because the K stands for action. James Kekalios is the author of The Physics of Superheroes. Even if there really are multiple universes, there is still no conceivable way to travel between them. But a kind of universe hopping does happen on television when a character from one show is somehow transported into another. Back in the 1980s, a TV writer took this idea to a whole new level. Eric Malinsky is holding the remote. Tom Fontana was a producer on St. Elsewhere. You know, the show was always on the brink of being canceled. Our, our first season, we were the, there were 100 TV shows on the air. There were only three networks. And uh, we were 99th in the ratings. But the show is critically acclaimed, and they managed to stick it out for six years, which was great for Tom Fontana because he loves to push the weirdness of what you can get away with on network TV. He also had a real soft spot for crossovers. I was a big, when I was young, I was a big uh, Beverly Hillbillies, Green Acres, uh, Petticoat Junction fan. And I determined that the only one of the characters that had been on all three series was Irene Ryan, who played Granny. I've come to take care of Betty Jo Young. We got a baby specialist coming from Beverly Hills. That is me. You're a Beverly Hills doctor? <laughs> I'd appreciate it if you kept the Beverly Hills part to yourself. So his version of that would be having a character from the Bob Newhart show show up as a patient on St. Elsewhere. Or he staged a crossover with Cheers, which is a sitcom. But they filmed their crossover like a drama. So when Carla, the surly waitress at Cheers, trash talks with the doctors at St. Elsewhere, there's no laugh track. And it's weird. Hey, hey, everybody! These two butchers work at St. Elsewhere! Welcome to Cheers, Doctors Jekyll and Hyde. Who recommended this establishment? I overheard Ehrlich talking about it. You'd <laughs> The writers also used to keep a list of every crazy scenario that they would love to do for the series finale. And when the show was finally canceled, Tom Fontana snatched that list off the wall and brought it into a meeting with the executive producer Bruce Paltrow. And this was their first pitch. Two of the doctors are having a deep conversation in their office. Happens pretty often on the show. And suddenly... (laughs) The idea was there was a flash, a mushroom cloud. And the two of them went, oh my God. And then then the show ended. Very 1980s. And Paltrow hated it. So this was their next idea. One doctor says to the other, I have a secret that's been weighing on me. And I have to confess it right now. I was the second gunman in Dallas the day that Kennedy died. And he then opens the drawer, pulls out a gun, and he goes, now that that I've told you, I have to kill you. (laughs) Bruce Paltrow was not amused. 
So Fontana was like, okay, how about this? It's snowing outside. We pan back to reveal the entire hospital is inside a snow globe, which is being held by Tommy, the autistic teenage son of Dr. Westfall, one of the main characters. But in this world, Westfall is not a doctor. He's a construction worker. And another doctor at St. Elsewhere is actually his father, who stays home taking care of his mute autistic grandson. Hi, Pop, how are you doing? Good. How was your day up on the building? Well, we uh, finally topped off the 22nd story. It turns out the entire series of St. Elsewhere has been a fantasy in the mind of this mysterious boy with the snow globe. And Bruce said, well, it's not the worst one. (laughs) Go ahead and write it. I don't understand this autism thing, Pop. Here's my son. I talk to him. I don't even know if he can hear me. He sits there all day long in his own world, staring at that toy. The response in the mail was about 50-50. Half of our audience hated, hated, like wanted to come to the MTM lot and burn us to the ground. And the other half thought it was a fitting part of the show. So Fontana went on to produce Homicide Life on the Street, where he continued his love of crossovers. One time, he brought over two doctors from St. Elsewhere, even though that show had gone off the air 12 years earlier. He even staged a crossover with Chicago Hope, which was on CBS, another network. He didn't show those scenes to any of the network execs before the episode aired. So the next Monday after the show aired, Warren Littlefield, who was head of NBC at the time, called me up and goes, you are a bad, bad boy. (laughs) (laughs) And he found a partner in crime, the actor Richard Belzer, who played Detective John Munch on Homicide. He was like, well, let's see. I could be on all the Law & Order shows. This is before he went over to Law & Order. And bit by bit, he just, he would get, they would say, uh, you know, we want you to be in this. And he'd go, well, I have to play Munch. So Munch consults with a lone gunman on the X-Files. Detective Munch, Baltimore Homicide. Did they find her? And a good evening to you. Orders a drink at a bar on the wire. Rodney, you can't press a regular for a whole task. It just isn't done. And teaches a class on arrested development. We supply the glitter, glue, the crepe paper, and the ready-made template pages for you to decorate and fill out with. This did not go unnoticed by TV fans, who wondered, does that mean that arrested development and the wire are supposed to exist in the same universe? Keith Gow is a playwright in Melbourne, Australia, and he and his friends were talking about this at a pub one night, and they went way further. They wondered if all these shows are linked, does that mean all of them were dreamed up by Tommy Westfall, the autistic kid from the finale of St. Elsewhere? And we started just sort of collating a list of (laughs) shows, and the further we got into it, the more connections we seemed to find. (laughs) They made a grid of the Tommy Westfall universe and put it online. People wrote in from around the world, telling him that Fontana was not the only one who was fond of crossovers. A lot of writers were fans of the X-Files, and they liked to incorporate the names of fake brands or companies that appeared on the X-Files into their shows as an homage. Like take Veronica Mars. The Veronica Mars connection to the X-Files is the uh, Lariat Hire Car Company. (laughs) which was, again, a specific reference 
to the X-Files, an homage to them. It, was, it wasn't just a coincidence that they used the same fake name. Right now, the Tommy Westfall universe encompasses over 400 shows. And the weird part is that it actually mirrors real theories about the multiverse, like the idea that certain particles might be able to travel between universes. Of course, in this case, those particles are Detective Munch or a fictional rental car company. Oh, I was stunned. Tom Fontana was also proud of the fact that Tommy was at the center of this internet phenomenon. I think it sort of adds a whole other layer to the to the idea of what the what an autistic person can or cannot do in a, in a very bizarre kind of way. You know what I mean? Because it says people have imaginations regardless of what their conditions are. You know, the the human mind is an extraordinary thing. And he thinks having these porous borders is good for TV writers. He saw it firsthand when his crew from Homicide swapped cast and crew with Law and Order. What it ultimately does in my mind is enhances the storytelling because somehow it frees you to like go to a place where you wouldn't normally have gone within the, hmm. the restrictions of your own genre or your own TV series, you know. I actually still have the snow globe upstairs. So. Really? Yeah. At this point, Tom went up to the second floor of his office, and he came back with the snow globe, the one that Tommy held in the series finale of St. Elsewhere. It was so much bigger and more detailed than I had imagined. That's an amazing memento. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) And as I stared into the snow globe, I started thinking, Tommy dreams up St. Elsewhere. Two doctors from St. Elsewhere appear in Homicide. Munch crosses over from Homicide to the X-Files, and the Laureate Car Company shows up on Veronica Mars. Veronica Mars's boyfriend worked on This American Life, where she met Ira Glass, who played himself. Ira was interviewed by Brooke Gladstone for On the Media. Brooke has been on our show. That means Studio 360, and half of the shows on public radio are all part of the Tommy Westfall multiverse. And that includes me. That's Eric Malinsky, who produced our piece with support from the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. Our next Science and Creativity podcast series is about the most famous scientist of all time. You're Albert Einstein. Wow. May I say what a great fan I am of yours? Thank you. Albert Einstein is all over pop culture, from cheesy movies to inspirational posters to action figures. But before any of that, he made a scientific discovery that changed everything. That's next time. Thanks for listening, and you can subscribe to Studio 360 at iTunes or Overcast or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. 